This week, we continue our discussion of the four constitutional amendments on the ballot this fall in Tennessee. We also revisit the China cabinet where we find Chinese police operating on American soil. And then we touch on more sudden deaths of healthy athletes, the tip of the iceberg for the coming devastating consequences of mRNA jabs. Along the way, we're going to celebrate a couple of birthdays. After all, is there a better month in which to be born? My name is Kevin Kukaji, and with my friend Gary Humble, this is the Freedom Matters Podcast. And then there were two. That's right. Here we are. We'll yeah. Tr- we'll try to uh, we'll try to make it seem like there's a third person in the room. Uh, sometimes there will be. We'll have guests, and um, maybe we can make. Yeah, hey, you started. You started out bantering with producer man here. We we're, we're lacking our, our. It's like a. It's we're lacking our. What is it? Third leg. Yeah, maybe that's we're, what we're we toppling. should do. <laughs> He's like, no, no. It doesn't have to be on a serious topic. You know, it can be about my bad eyes and my need for glasses and your need for glasses. <clears throat> I feel like my, I'm needing those. My 55th birthday coming up. Well, by the time this airs, my 55th birthday will be in the rear rear view mirror. Monday. When's it? Monday's 55? Monday, October 10th, they turn 55, yeah. I didn't, today's 44 for me. Today's your birthday? Yeah. We need birthday music. <laughs> we definitely need we, birthday yeah, music. Yeah, we had Cine Nomine last week. Yeah. Uh, now, now Bring we up have, the, um, happy, the uh, Stevie Wonder one. The we one have, we did last year on my Jesus and the Meteorologist, and I didn't know what it was. My kids were embarrassed. <laughs> my father's in the music industry, and he didn't remember Stevie Wonder's. Is that which one is it? That's a happy birthday. Yep, exactly. Okay, See, yeah. Gary knows it. Yeah, I remember that. Forty-four. Forty-four, and, and I'll be fifty-five. So we're eleven years, almost exactly. Yep. eleven years apart. You know, and when I was in high school marching band, one of our seasons was Stevie Wonder. A season? So you played all Stevie Wonder stuff. All Stevie Wonder stuff. There, there it you is. Go. I heard it. Here we go. This is for Gary today. Wow. What a great 44th. This is the best 44th birthday I've ever had. (laughs) Enjoy it, because it's going to be the only one. Um, Wait, what were you saying? Marching band. I thought you played guitar. I thought you played guitar. Well, I do play guitar, but I was... uh, was... Did you play guitar in marching band? No, no, drummer. I was a drummer. You were. You're entering my territory. Yeah, I was a drum captain, man. I was. Center, I was I the was drum captain. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I was drum captain did we not, too. Did we've never not, had this conversation? Yeah. Oh my goodness, man. I was. So did you I have a, a really big drum line or a small drum? Well, line? we're small school. We had like uh, about 200 or so members in the band. Oh my gosh, that's giant. We had uh, let's see, three snares, four quads, and five basses. Wait. 200 musicians, or are you counting like color guard and and no musicians? And and you only had three snares with Mm -hmm. 200? Yeah, we only had 36 musicians and three snares. Wow, yeah, but we only had we didn't even have quads, we had triple toms. Okay, so we had one set of triple toms and we only had three basses, would have loved to have five. And I went to college. Always wanting to be in a big drum line. Used to be jealous of guys that Mm -hmm. had like five snares or seven or ten snare line, you know. And went to college, and the drum line was five snares, and I was one of them. We had five basses, five cymbals, four or five 
quince, I think they had. And it was good, but because we did four different shows during Temple University's football season, never got the show tight. Like in high school, we played one show from August with band camp all the way through competition season. So by the end of the season, we were so yeah, tight. That's, yeah, that's what we did as well. Yeah, same thing. That's what I was saying. One of our years in high school was Stevie Wonder. Our entire marching performance was based on Stevie Wonder. And you got it good because you played it every, yeah, a lot. Every week. Yeah, and that's how we were in high school. But in college, all of my dreams of playing in a really tight, big drum line went out the window because it was like... Yeah, we were, we were pretty good in high school. I was a huge <clears throat> drum nerd. The guy that... My, our drum instructor was a Phantom Regiment guy. Oh. The guy that marched next to me, he marched the Cavaliers. I never went to Drum Corps International. And then I was... Uh, good thing, by the way. I hear lots of lots of moral problems. Not problems. Well, camps, I'm sure, yeah. especially the young kids. Uh, they're, they're, they're all young. I think you top out at 21, 21. or something. Yeah, 14 to 21 is yeah. my understanding. And then uh, I was a worship leader for a long time in the church, and uh, I led worship for a bit at a church for a couple of years in California in Central Valley, and uh, my drummer in our worship band at the time was the center snare for Santa Clara Vanguard. Mm. <laughs> so, so he was good. He was good. <laughs> He was good. Wow! For all the band nerds out there, I never knew that we had that in common, Gary. So oh, we've yeah. got a we've got a birthday. I had forgotten that you were an October birthday because you're the same birthday as my sister, who turns fifty today. Okay, but I did not know that you were drumline. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we loved drum corps stuff. We just we had drum corps competitions all around us. We would go to them, aspire to be them. Did drum corps type performances as much as you could with a. Small drum line. Maybe but. like a like a, a, a Tennessee stands drum line, you know? <laughs> that would be incredible. You know, and when, and when we... Two snare players. And though. you remember back in the day, like when you went to war, I mean, you put the drummers up front. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Drum solo coming up, playing drum to drum, you know? Yeah. Did all that stuff. Boom. Well, I, what were we talking about That's last a good week? intro. <clears throat> I did have one more thing to say, though, about that before we get off the band Oops. topic. When you first said that you were in marching band, I'm picturing you playing guitar... <laughs> It reminded me of that Woody Allen movie. Is it Small Time Crooks or is it... There's a Woody Allen movie where he plays cello and he's in the marching band and he is... He goes down the street. I think his name is Virgil in the movie. And instead of like having some some version of a cello that marches, he literally would sit his chair down about 20 feet in front of where the band was coming, play, and then the band would march past him. He'd pick up his chair, sit down and play again. Ben, if you can find it, that's a great, it's a great scene. So I, I was going to tease you about, did you sit down and play your guitar and then catch up to the band, <laughs> plug into your amp? But no, you play drums, which is cool. You know, I did play, not to keep beating a dead horse, but I think I did play guitar one time for a jazz song in marching band. I sat on the sideline. Sideline. Yeah, I did <clears throat> do that one time. And sometimes the core, the drum core would bring um, like electric bass. Some up Somebody front, up there, yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah, I've seen that. Well, last week we started to get into the four amendments that are going to be on the ballot this November in Tennessee. And um, Gary, why don't you get back into those? We started to delve into the right to work amendment because I think that is the most, it's the most important one to discuss, not that the other ones are not, because it seems on its surface like it's a good thing, right? Yeah. As, as, free men and women in a free and civil society, we believe in the right to work as a principal matter, but why don't you give us a quick 
quick update or a, a quick review of what we covered last week, and then let's explore it deeper. Yeah, and as a reminder, I don't know if we actually said this on the show last week, but but in Tennessee, whenever you go to the poll on November 8th, uh, I'm sure many don't realize this uh, because it's it's not getting out there as it should. And typically, you know, I, voting's so difficult for so many. I think we we show up to the poll and you see all these county positions or city positions or all the, you didn't even know like this position even existed and here you are voting, you know, that happens too often. But this is really critical when you show up to the ballot, or as we said last week, what was it? The the voting (laughs) voting voting ballot. ballot. Is there any other kind? (laughs) You're going to have four constitutional amendments to amend the state constitution here in Tennessee. And uh, they're going to be numbered, constitutional amendment number one, number two, so on. And number one is the right to work amendment, which has to do with labor unions. And what we talked about last week is primarily my frustration in how it's being advertised. And so we have the yes on one committee, which is supported by every, every single member of Republican leadership across the state is supporting yes on one. And the treasurer of the committee is former Governor Bill Haslam. But my main point of frustration in how they're promoting this amendment is they're using all of the the fear tactics and the buzzwords of, you know, don't let the D.C. swamp take away your right to work. Uh, you know, there was another one I saw. Don't don't California or Tennessee, you know, mm-hmm. by with failed liberal policies. And that is angering in a sense, because they're trying to tell you we need to put this constitutional amendment in our Tennessee state constitution to protect us from the federal government when the fact is we can talk about 10th Amendment and the fact that the federal government really has no jurisdiction over employment yeah. to begin with. There's, a, there's, <clears throat> We can have a whole nother topic on that. Yep. But in terms of laws that are made by Congress, um, you know, as long as they're pursuant to the Constitution, which one could argue a law having to do with employment is not, not pursuant yeah. to the Constitution, right? So considering that what they're doing is pursuant to the Constitution in Article uh, 6, Clause uh, 2 of the U.S. Constitution, then those laws are the supreme law of the land, Mm -hmm. regardless if the law here in the state is simply a state statute or in our Constitution. Acts of Congress, if they are at odds with something in a state constitution, make that constitutional provision unconstitutional. That's how it works. So this idea that they're pushing using Biden and the left and the D.C. swamp and California, all these buzzwords to to put something in our constitution is just disingenuous. And the fact is what every voter needs to understand when they when they go to the poll and they see amendment number one, right to work which means basically we don't discriminate against our employees as to whether or not they're part of a labor union. That has been Tennessee law since 1947, been on the books for 75 years. It's worked beautifully for 75 years. And you may want to research this and you may want to amend the state constitution because you just fear unions and you feel like that's going to give us a greater protection. That's fine, whatever. But the reason to amend the constitution is not to protect us from an act of Congress. Because an act of Congress will defeat the state constitution as well as it will defeat the state statute. That's right. It would render it all moot. Yep. So So, then what is the danger of putting it into the constitution versus just leaving it where it is? 
So to me, one of the biggest things is here's what everybody needs to consider. Whenever you put something in in the Constitution, you are now opening up that whatever it is, that clause, that phrase, that section. You are now opening that up for interpretation in the courts. And one could say, well, yeah, but it's been state law. That That's fine. I, I get that. Regardless of how long it's been state law, when you put new constitutional language out there, you now open that up to interpretation at a, at a constitutional level, if you will, to the courts, which can impact more than just that one subject. Right. <clears throat> There's spillover. Absolutely. And more than just that one state law, mm-hmm. right? And that's... That's my fear when I think about how how far we've come into to bowing to the courts and how much they have used their supposed power to interpret for their own activist gain. Mm-hmm. Putting anything in our Constitution concerns me, especially in this case where it it's it's doing absolutely nothing but restating what we've already been doing for 75 years. And what about the way that this is phrased? And I forget because I don't have it in front of me, but last week when we were looking at the language, they don't even define it as labor unions. Don't they call it in... Well, no, they they do say labor unions, but then they add a second phrase. It says labor union or employee organization. What is that? What is an employee organization? And what's the intent behind that language, right? There you go. And so my my contention is that, or, or my concern, I, sh- I should say, in 27 right-to-work states in the United States, eight of those states have that provision in their state constitution. So eight of the 27. So Tennessee would be the ninth mm-hmm. of the 27 right-to-work states putting it in the constitution. However— we will be the only state that has this extra that has the phrase employee organization. Do we know who drafted this amendment and can we get any hints as to what might be at play with this additional language? I don't know who personally drafted it. I, the or what organizations I can of, tell you that. I can tell you two things. The the main two pushes with this amendment uh, is coming from the Beacon Center of Tennessee and uh, the tennis, and primarily, I think uh, the Tennessee Chamber of Commerce mm-hmm. uh, is on the executive committee board for this amendment. It was um, submitted by who's now under a federal indictment. He's now resigned. It was submitted by Senator Brian Kelsey gotcha. out of Memphis. Gotcha. It was submitted in 2020. I watched the committee hearing when the bill was submitted, and he says, you know, he's dealt. He's an attorney. He's dealt with right-to-work laws in other states, and apparently this was a passion project of his. Mm. And he's personally been working to get this amendment going since 2010. So this has been a push from a few folks that's been going on for quite some time. And I I got some pushback on the fact this phrase employee organization. I got some pushback from some folks because this phrase, this constitutional language – is almost verbatim restating what is currently state law. And so the pushback was, well, Gary, that phrase employee organization has been in state law. So it is, So that is in the state it law, It is in too? state law. But, Interesting. But check this out. Here, here, was, my, uh, here was my retort mm-hmm. on that. It's not defined in state law. <laughs> <laughs> 
I went, I went, look, like I, I literally, I, I went searching all over state statute for this, the use of this phrase, and especially in the section uh, in our right to work laws. The phrase employee organization is not defined in state law when it's used in the right to work setting. And now we're about to put it in our constitution. So look, again, I'm not saying that a court will misinterpret it. I'm not saying that necessarily this is being done for nefarious purposes. I'm, I'm, you know, this is all speculation. What I can tell you with absolute confidence is that this term currently is undefined. This phrase has never been used in any other constitution ever having to do with labor unions and employment unions. Hmm. And therefore, a court has yet to interpret what that really means in terms of a constitution. You know, as you're saying that, Gary, I, I picked up a story here, just Googled it. <clears throat> this goes back to 2013, and this is in the LA Times, where this exact discussion of what's the difference between an employee association and a union, most legal minds think that there's no distinction except for this. Uh, again, I don't know why this would be the case, but apparently associations, employee associations, do not have the power to strike. Interesting. Now, I don't know why the qualification by how you what you call them would deny you the ability to strike. I haven't done enough research on it. But does it say employee association that mm -hmm. you're reading? Yeah, this yeah. is employee organization. Yeah, which maybe you could say that's the same that's, word. Okay, let me see if that's any different So as we're talking. Go ahead. So point being, again— as you head to the poll and you think about amending the state constitution, I want every every voter should feel like that's a big thing. We should feel like there's a weight of responsibility we have whenever we cast that vote. Mm -hmm. And um, I would just cause you to consider this has been state law for 75 years. I, I don't see any threat of that law changing. I suspect it'll be state law for the next 75 years. And uh, is it worth putting something in our Constitution that is now going to be up for interpretation by the courts, which may yield to consequences that we cannot foresee yet, and also language that has never been used in a state constitution before. Tell us— There's no precedent. Tell us about the procedure now. To get a Constitution amendment passed, it has to pass by 50 Point one, right? 50 plus an iota yeah, percent of, of the people who vote for governor or just of the race where the governor is on the ballot? No. So it, it has to be on the ballot at the same time that, that there is a gubernatorial race, which would be this year. And it has to pass by simple majority of the number of people that vote for governor. So, for example, easy, easy numbers. Let's just say 100,000 people vote for governor in the state of Tennessee. Well, be a lot more than that, probably right, a million, but let's just say 100,000, which means you need 50,001 yes votes to amend for these constitutional amendments. Well, let's say uh, the yes has only got 49,000, but the no's got 48,000. So it, it gets a majority. It doesn't win, though, because it's not more than 50% of the amount of people mm -hmm. that voted for governor. So do you so think that's how it works? Do you think that the placing of these amendments has anything to do with just getting people out to vote for governor? 
Uh, well, it's possible, but it but it's a constitutional requirement that a constitutional amendment is on the ballot when a governor is being elected. Right, but unlike yeah. yes on one when it had to do with right to life, which is a much easier pill to swallow. It's an easier you understand why that's for a Republican state. Yeah, yeah. But when you when you talk about maybe a governor who's worried about not getting enough votes even on the record or for governor, do you throw in some Let's put four easy constitutional amendment? amendments. Yeah. Especially um, one that appeals to Republicans. Yeah. The pro business community. Am I am I <laughs> is it possible? I, I don't know. I don't know. It I, that's that's an interesting thought. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, I just came to me now, so I don't have yeah. any depth of thought on it other than it just came Man, out of my mouth. Another controversy, another <laughs> level. <laughs> so what about these other amendments then? What are they by title and what are they yeah, so there are three more. So constitutional amendment number two, this one is a little scary to me. I'm a I'm a, another hard no on number two. So currently in our Tennessee state constitution, in uh, let's see, Article Three, which defi- defines the powers of the governor, Article Three, Section Twelve already provides. So again, as you go to the polls and you see this amendment, understand our constitution already provides that in the case of the removal of the governor from office or his death or his resignation, that our lieutenant governor takes his place as governor. And if there's no lieutenant governor, which is the speaker of the Senate in our state, then it's going to be the speaker of the House. That's already provided for in the Constitution. All right, what they're doing now is they are expanding that to where – It's not only if the governor is dead or resigns or somehow removed because he was indicted or whatever. Now the governor can literally take a break. So imagine this, the way this amendment is written. You're the governor. You write a letter to the secretary of state notifying him that you are no longer able to discharge your duties as governor. Now, there's no reason given as to what those reasons might be, and there's no limitations on time so you can effectively let the let the secretary of state know that you're going to take a break you're going to step down as governor and at that time the lieutenant governor steps in but then what this amendment allows is at some point in time when i guess the governor determines that he's now fit for office again he writes another letter to the secretary of state and says i'm ready to step back in put me in coach (laughs) so Literally, this amendment... It's kind of like concussion protocol in football, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> I'm ready to go. It, it allows the governor essentially to take a break. I would say, look, if if the governor needs to take a break, fine, resign. Yeah. Like, I voted for you to be governor. You know, let's let's put somebody else in it's, there. It's like keeping both feet, one foot in and one foot out. Well, yeah. I'm going to take a break just in case, not ready to resign or retire. But there's a second part of the amendment that's very concerning. So not only can the governor write this letter. Hear me. It also provides that a majority of the commissioners of administrative departments, your, you know, Penny Schwinn, your commission of education, uh, your commission of health, uh, what, there's eight or nine of them, I guess, that are head the administrative branches. They can write a letter to remove the governor? Yeah. So a coup. I mean, it could be a coup. Literally, (laughs) if if the majority... And they're unelected, by the way. These are appointed men and women. These aren't people that the, the electorate puts an office. And our Republicans think this is a, who's behind this one? Is this you, you mentioned a, like Chamber of Commerce Beacon Center behind Amendment One. Who's behind this? I Amendment don't know two? who's behind it. It was sponsored by Senator uh, Becky Massey out of Knoxville. It sounds like a 
a recipe for disaster as far as losing your right of representation. Well, yeah, imagine you've, you now allow a majority of administrative bureaucrats by majority to take out your governor and put in the lieutenant governor. Mm-hmm. That's incredible to me. Again, I'm a hard no. <clears throat> that sounds like a hard no. Amendment. Okay. How about um, number three? Number three, also interesting. So Article 1, Section 33 of the Constitution already outlaws slavery, says that slavery and involuntary servitude is unlawful in the state of Tennessee. Oh, yes. I remember this one. Good. And uh, it, it says, though, currently, except as punishment for a person who has been duly convicted of a crime. So literally, I was driving back to Williamson County today from East Tennessee, and at some point along the highway, there was a local county sheriff's department, and they had all the prisoners out there picking yep. up trash on the side of the road. You yep. know, we, we do forced labor across <clears throat> the state. It's not just picking up trash. There's several things I'm sure that prisoners are engaged in mm-hmm. as they're incarcerated. So this... So what this, which is slavery, right? It's forced labor. So our constitution says, look, forced labor, slavery, involuntary is illegal, except if you're convicted of a crime. What this amendment would now say, now listen to this, slavery and involuntary servitude are forever prohibited. Agreed. I'm fine with that. But here's what it, the change. Now it says, nothing in this section shall prohibit an inmate from working when the inmate has been duly convicted of a crime. Nothing in this section shall prohibit an inmate from working. So it doesn't say that the inmate can be forced to work. It says nothing in this section shall prohibit an right. inmate from working. <clears throat> Which means it now becomes voluntary. Like he has a right to work. Yeah, within the... Uh, penitentiary system, within the criminal justice system, now you're not going to be able to have highway cleanup and things like that. We're going to have to hire people, pay them with taxpayer money, right? So I'm not the only one saying this. We have a workforce. The way this reads makes it sound as if the inmate now can actually demand wages. Because the the working relationship has now transitioned to the right of the inmate and not the right of the state to force labor upon them. And and notice how subtle this is, right? If if the amendment said prisoners now have a right to demand wages when they work, it would never pass. No, absolutely not. It's purposely subtle, it's purposely obscure, right? Yeah, that's a definite no. And well, and but listen to what's going on. See, here's the the crap in Tennessee that you need to be able to wade through to get the truth and to know how to vote because the Republican Party across the state is telling everyone to vote yes on all four amendments. Which, by the way, and if if you don't vote yes on number three, they're going to say you're for you're, slavery. You're a racist. Yeah, you're for slavery. You're racist. You're Yep. So I so I saw a Gary. video. Well, I tell you what it is. A, a video came across my feed the other day. It was a, a Democrat House Rep, and then Jeremy Faison, who's part of part of the Republican leadership in the House. And uh, they did a video together in unity. You know, we we support you know Amendment Number Three, and so it's like this olive branch, bipartisan. You know, mm-hmm. we're all in this together, kind of a thing. And I'm like, hell no. We, we ain't in this together. Yep. <laughs> you know, it's it's just, and of course, it's being carried by Senator uh, Ramush Akbari out of Memphis, a a very 
uh, Democrat senator mm-hmm. is the sponsor of this bill. So this is a leftist agenda. This is a a very progressive, I think, nefariously styled amendment. And our side always takes these matters at face value, right? They'll look at words and say, what could go wrong? They mean well. Yeah. So it's uh, that that's number three. And number four, I think I mentioned last week, is sort of constitutional cleanup. Uh, currently— Oh, the, this is about pastors or yeah. Christians being able to run for office. Yeah, it says, you know, minister of the gospel cannot hold an office in the legislature, which I never understood why that was in <laughs> to begin with. But um, it's been held unconstitutional since 1978, and um, it's been wholly ignored uh, for decades. So I, I'm a yes on that. It's literally just shouldn't have ever been there, I don't think, in my personal opinion. And it's really just uh, a matter of cleanup at this point. So so really, probably only number four is worthy of a yes, in in our opinion. Obviously, yeah. do your own research. But yeah, that's that's really helpful, Gary, because you help us do what we don't have time to do, which is to do that research and then to communicate it to anyone who's willing to listen so they can be informed. I know that the other side and the people who want to push these things get nervous when we inform, but we believe that our audience is capable of making its own decision and being self-governing. Yeah, don't, don't, and that's a great point. You know, I'm not sitting here, I'm, I'm letting you know what I think about these amendments, and I'm letting you know how I'm going to vote. But you need to do your own research. Mm-hmm. The God, but God help us if voters in Tennessee, Republicans just, oh, well, the Republican Party said we should vote yes on all four, so let's go, baby. And we and you, you defend it. Blindly. You, you yep. defend those statements like your life depends on it. You know, read the bill, people. Yep. I always think about Every time I, I always think about Nancy Pelosi in 2010, the Affordable Health Care Act. You have to pass it to you know what's pass in it first. It. That's right. I'm like, no, do your, do your due diligence first. She also, in that same press conference or the same set of press conferences, when challenged by someone where in the Constitution she got the authority to pass this health care legislation, she didn't have an answer, but she literally said, and you can quote me and you can quote her, are you kidding are you kidding? That was her answer, end quote, because she didn't have an answer. In other words, yeah. Constitution doesn't matter. Well, can I go into the China closet? The cabinet or the closet? Uh, Are we transitioning it's, it's, to the closet? It's got so much stuff in it, a cabinet can't hold it. It's it's over. It's spilling over. Yes. We're, we've moved it into the closet now. I like it. Gary, do you know that there are Chinese police stations in the United States of America? No. How's that possible? Yeah. You would think, how in the world and why is that the case? So there are 54 overseas service stations operated by the CCP in 30 countries across five continents. There is one in New York. Now, the ostensible purpose of these is to—I only read you the headline here so you can get a better sense—is to persuade— Chinese nationals to return from abroad. So they're they're establishing these police stations as a way to go after their own national citizens. One only has to open his eyes to get a sense of what can really go wrong when you have a Chinese police force in our sovereign territory. So yeah, New York City is one of the locations. But by the way, between April 2021 In July of 2022, Chinese police persuaded, and I say this in quotes, 
230,000 claimed fugitives to return to China voluntarily (laughs) while admitting that not all the targets have committed any crimes. And while they're here, of course, we know that they are establishing businesses at the end of secure facilities, military facilities, tech facilities to listen in on all kinds of information to steal technology. So that's yet another step. A poli- and that's just one right now in New York, right? With uh, how many did I say again? There are 54 across the across the globe. I can't even believe that's a thing. But you know what? That doesn't surprise me in, uh, in New York. I think I saw a, a news article maybe a year ago, year and a half ago about a specific Islamic police force in New York City that was like dedicated <clears throat> to dealing with the Muslim community just like in there is New York City. Islamic judges who just work with Sharia law and they don't even abide by our constitutional system. And that has also been given quite a foothold. You know who we should have we should have as a guest. I just it just dawned on me, Gary, there's a great expert in all of these matters dealing with Islam and political Islam is um, Bill Warner. Do you know Bill Warner? Mm-hmm. Yes, I used to do a lot of work with Bill Warner uh, back when I was chairman of Williamson County Republican Party, and we used to do events. He is the foremost expert, um, not just in our area. He's he's a physicist, PhD by trade, and on September 11th, he completely stopped doing what he was doing and focused all of his efforts on political Islam. And he's written some of wow. the most helpful books on the topic. He kind of takes Sharia law and boils it down to things that you can understand and helps you get through and understand what you're reading. Yeah, we should bring him in on a week. But we're establishing little, whether it's Chinese police stations, whether it's separate Islamic clerics and Sharia, we're establishing these little, or allowing to be established, little outposts that are sacrosanct from U.S. law. Right. Um, which Which is dangerous not only from a a physical threats and the dangers it can cause to citizens under different laws, but it's totally destructive of the American order and being able to hold together a free and civil society. So, Absolutely. By the way, anyone who's interested in reading the long report, you can go to, the website is called safeguarddefenders.com. That's the word safe, and followed by G-U-A-R-D, followed by defenders, safeguarddefenders.com. And you can read this long report about how the Chinese persuaded, quote-unquote, their nationals to return and how there are now police stations in the United States run by the Communist Party of China. How's that for a topic? Can I talk about one more before we go? I hate to get arrested by those folks. Oh, my gosh. That'd be a bad day. Did you see what happened in the one of the airports? I can never pronounce the Chinese. Uh, happened on October 4th. Okay, so there's one... One or two COVID case, they say it's been an outbreak because they live under this COVID zero policy. Right. They shut down the airport in one of the major cities. Of course, they're all major cities, but this one was only 635,000 people, which is like the size of downtown Nashville if you don't count the metropolitan areas. That's really, really tiny for China. They shut down the airport, and there were a 1,000 or so tourists at the airport at the time who were not allowed to get out of the airport. Planes were coming in and not unloading their passengers and being told to depart. And because the people were obviously up in arms about it and, hey, we need to get back to our homes. And these are all Chinese nationals, right? China within China. 
to my knowledge, there were no um, foreigners, but surely with a thousand, there had to be some. And then because they wanted to clamp down on the protests about it, the Chinese government sent all these Chinese police force covered completely in hazmat gears, but carrying their automatic weapons and harassing people and not letting them, just shutting them down. Just because there was a, quote, outbreak of COVID, they found one or two cases. So that's that's frightening to think of that that possibility and, and being arrested by someone like that and being, you know, they, they already don't have rights and they don't have any way to defend their rights because they don't have a Second Amendment and firearms. We almost don't have that here because people aren't willing to stand up and defend it. That's right. It's exactly the way to say it. We almost don't have it. Okay, so I'm going to shift one more time. By the way, T.C. Mitz was one of our our ways to talk about the, the common man in the streets. There is another phrase that my family uses when we switch topics. Like if you're talking about bread and butter and all of a sudden you want to talk about football and then you want to talk about economics, instead of just being a non sequitur, we always say, and I'll explain why, Mike Boozer wears glasses, <laughs> right? Mike Boozer wears glasses is our, is our key or is our signal for we're changing subjects. <laughs> And that all came from when I was in third grade, one of my good friends in school was named Mike Boozer. And we were sitting at home eating dinner. I was one of six, and my mom and dad and my siblings and I. And it just dawned on me that I wanted to tell them this good news. I was excited about my friend, Mike, because it's I guess it was the first friend I ever had who went from non— I mean, I knew kids that had glasses from kindergarten on, but Mike Boozer didn't have glasses until like the middle of third grade, and then all of a sudden he came in. And I just blurted out at the dinner table, Mike Boozer wears glasses. And everybody was like, what the heck are you talking about? So in my family, and an extended family, text groups, anything like that, we've got this little Mike Boozer wears glasses before we change subjects. <laughs> That's hilarious. So Mike Boozer wears glasses. I want to talk about one more thing, which I'm sure our audience, Gary, has been reading about. Have you noticed the number of healthy athletes dying, quote, unquote, for natural causes. Well, that's been happening for like a year now, right? Yeah, it just keeps happening. And what is stunning to me, I'll I'll just read you this one that came up today. Uh, What's stunning to me is they continue to insist on, quote, unquote, natural causes. Uh, Death today of, um, well, maybe this wasn't today, this week. North Greenville University baseball player Davis Heller despite no signs of trauma or injury being present when he was discovered during a welfare check, according to the coroner's office. He died Wednesday at his off-campus apartment. He was 22 years old, had transferred to North Greenville during the spring after spending the previous two seasons as a reserve infielder at Alabama. The family, of course, always says, we're heartbroken, we've lost this person, he was a positive force, blah, 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 blah. But then it says in the article died of natural causes. No idea how it happened. How often does this happen? And by the way, this is accompanied by yesterday or two days ago, Sarah Lee, a a former WWE Tough Enough winner. She was 30 years old Mm. and she died. I mean, you have these high-performing professional athletes or athletes of the caliber that could become professional suddenly dying. And of course, we know why it is, right? When you take the clot shot, the jab, myocarditis, blockage of the arteries, and then you have intense exercise that increases your risk of death. 
Um, they even are starting to admit and tell people, well, you'll be okay provided you just don't exercise the rest don't, of your don't life. Don't overexert yourself. <laughs> Gosh. The opposite just, of what we've been telling yeah, people for exactly. decades. It's just horrible. I mean, the lies are so... Isn't that partly why we've had to come up with this new phenomenon now called SADS, you know, sudden, sudden adult, adult death, death syndrome. syndrome? It's just, it's incredible how we, we continue to try to convince ourselves. Well, not we, not we, they, yeah. they continue to try to convince us that we don't know what we already know, what we've been knowing since this first started. Yep. And when they say natural causes... Are we really to believe that they're going to follow that to its logical conclusion? Because if a 30 or a 22 year old athlete and a 30 year old athlete with a female WWE die and it's deemed natural causes, then we have to change all of the actuarial information for insurance companies. You have to tell a child when you, I mean, why go to college? Why pursue a career? Because your life expectancy may be 22, right? What? Why not just start getting um, Social Security and Medicare at 15, right? Right, And retire because in seven years you're going to die. It's just – at what point is uh, rational behavior going to re-enter the stream? I, ha, at some point there's going to be enough people that die. They say, oh, okay, maybe we should take this seriously. But I just feel so – what makes me angry is the lie is so blatant and they have no concern – for the people who've been jabbed. They just dismiss them. And I will say this as a teaser. I've promised this a month or two ago, and we're getting closer to being able to do it. We're going to have a guest on here. I was going to ask about that. Yeah, I finally got the full report this week, and now it's working its way through proper channels. But I represent a young man who is a lieutenant in the Army, and he was forced to take the jab he was one of the last ones to take it, and he only took it because he was just a good guy who wanted to serve his country and said, all right, I'm, I'm worried about it, but I've got to do it because I'm being told to do it. And then immediately began having all kinds of heart issues. This is a guy that was ROTC, top of his class, um, was a runner and and very physically fit. And he went from being very physically fit to now walking around with a blood pressure that frequently is like 180 over 110 or 108. Like he's walking a walking potential stroke and heart attack, if not worse. And the answers that he's getting from the army are, it's normal. You're just nervous about getting your blood pressure taken. You know, here, take some blood pressure medicine that doesn't work because he's got a blockage. I mean, it's, it's, it's clear this guy has a blockage. Anyway, He's agreed to come on here once we get through this report, and we're going to get him some attention uh, with the media. We have both Senate and House side of Congress working on this for him. Um, I have an attorney who works for First Liberty, who is connected with a another attorney who does um, vaccine injury lawsuits. So we've got, we're kind of coming around him with a lot of things. But number one, so our listeners know, if you can be praying for him, can't give his name yet, but pray for this young Army officer who has given his service to our country and says he can't believe that he came into the service because he wanted to protect us as Americans from foreign enemies. And what he's encountered is that his own superiors are more the enemy than anybody else. And it's just, it's changed his whole perspective on why he's serving. But he needs your prayers for his physical health first. Then we can circle back around and deal with the legal issues. Well, and we should never forget all the things that 
we did here, even in Tennessee, for example, like the letter signed by 16 Republican state senators in the state of Tennessee that was signed on July, in July of 2021, mm-hmm. strongly, quote unquote, strongly encouraging all Tennesseans to get the shot. And uh, how dare we not get the shots? And so over 600,000 people have mm-hmm. died from this deadly virus. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's just, it. I'm, I'm hearing you talk and we're still, we're rehashing all of this. And I'm thinking the, the part that our government played in pressuring citizens yes. to comply with these measures. And, um, and I think it's important because you and I talked about this, but, but before we close, you know, going back to really quickly amendment number one, I just, again, to be, to be clear, just to, just to say it so that it's said, because for two years, two years, we've worked here in Tennessee to protect an individual's right to make their own medical decisions, especially when it comes to taking a vaccine and uh, working to protect nurses and frontline workers and basically any employee from being forced to get this shot. Well, for two years, we were told we don't understand what it means to be conservative. We don't regulate businesses here in Tennessee. We can't make those restrictions. And if if we believe in liberty, then employers should be able to do whatever it is they want to do. And if the employee doesn't like it, they can go get a job somewhere else. That was the message <clears throat> when it came to employers mandating that you get a shot. That was the message from the Republican establishment. And so I will add to that and pile on. How can we possibly say with a straight face that we are a right-to-work state if for two years they declared most of us non-essential? Yeah. yeah <laughs> we you, have no right to work. You have no right to work because we declare that you're not essential to the state. And, uh, and so, even the Constitution – they talk about making a constitutional amendment, and I know we got to go because we'll turn this into another episode. But that Constitution is only as good as the people are willing to enforce it. So – the governor threw out the constitutional authority for almost two years, like 22 months, right, where he, he ruled by decree, and we never had a special session during all of that COVID. I would, I would advise anybody who's putting their hope in the Constitution, meaning in here, a Tennessee state constitution, it's not going to help you unless the people are willing to uphold it. Yeah, and so as you go to the poll, again, understand that every— member of Republican leadership who's telling you to vote yes on this amendment because they believe in the government's right to tell an employer that they can't force you to be part of a union are the same Republicans that for two years has been telling you that your employer has a right to force you to get a shot and the government can't step in and protect you from those infringements upon your liberties. That's the those are the same people making those no same contradictions there. Two arguments. Anyway, should we end with a happy up, uplift on going out with a birthday song again? Yeah, sure. Should we go with a little more Stevie Wonder. Yeah, cue Stevie. <laughs> well, happy birthday for next happy week. Happy birthday, yeah, thanks. Kevin. Forty-four and fifty-five. Yeah, man. And happy birthday to all the birthdayers out there if you're listening that's right my family has a lot of october birthdays so (laughs) october fest if you'd like to learn more about tennessee stands visit tennesseestands.org to donate volunteer or get more information about what we're doing to preserve liberty for the people of tennessee 
You can also follow along on all social platforms at Tennessee Stands. As Thomas Paine reminded us, those who expect to reap the blessings of freedom must, like men, undergo the fatigue of supporting it. (laughs) 